Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! I'm right, he's left. Let's talk about it. All right, guys. So tonight will be Lee's like true crime episode, conspiracy theory episode. And tonight he wants to talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. And surprise, surprise, I don't know much about him either. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to learn a little bit about what he has to say. I hope you guys are too. So I'll go ahead and kick it off to you, Lee. All right, guys, like Ray said, uh, really want to cover Jeffrey Dahmer. He is uh, one of America's biggest and most uh, famous uh, serial killer, uh, even though I, I don't like using the word famous when it comes to serial killers. Uh, typically, the reason people do it is to be famous. I don't like giving them that justice, but uh, kind of going over... Uh, you know, the beginning facts of Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, he's born May 21st, 1960 uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, I really want to start this off with a quote that he said during his court documents. Uh, it's pulled from the court documents while he was on trial. And it really just, to me, signifies who Dahmer was as a person. And uh, that quote is, I was so wrapped up in what I was doing, I felt felt like I was going to continue doing that for the rest of my life. So no <clears throat> sadness, no empathy for what he had done. Just if he didn't get caught, he was going to do it for the rest of his life. And that to me just really reigns true to the type of person he was. Um, so Jeffrey Dahmer, if you don't know, um, he killed 17 men and boys between 1978 and 1991. Uh, and we're going to do this in kind of three parts. I want to do the background, uh, his childhood, and the psychology behind it, and then go over the victims, and then kind of go over the arrest and uh, his death. Uh, so... Again, Jeffrey Dahmer was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on May 21st, 1960, to Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. Um, he was a super energetic, super happy kid, um, just like your typical kid, uh, all the way up until the age of four. At uh, the age of four, he had a surgery to correct a double hernia, and he had a very traumatic and painful recovery. Uh, after that surgery and they said after that he just completely changed 
he was a completely different kid. He became very withdrawn, withdrawn, uh, and that really deepened after the birth of his younger brother. And uh, his family moved very frequently. So, you know, he had this very traumatic uh, recovery from a surgery. Uh, he got a younger brother, and his family moved very, very often. And they said with every major life event, that happy, energetic boy that he was kind of died inside. And he just uh, slowly, slowly became withdrawn and uh, very manic. Um, in his young, in his youth, he uh, developed a fascination with animal bones. Uh, he really studied on how to clean them, preserve them, how to take care of them. Uh, he collected large insects, uh, skulls. He preserved it all in jars of formaldehyde. Um, and that's how he spent his youth, you know, collecting dead things. And if that doesn't show, you know, he carried that into his adult age. And so it's something that really started with youth. Um, he did say in the court documents and interview that his compulsions toward necrophilia and murder really skyrocketed around the age of 14. And coincidentally, that's also when his drinking started. Uh, he became a hardcore alcoholic at the age uh, anywhere from 12 to 14. Uh, different reports say different things. Uh, but those compulsions started at the same time that he became a heavy, heavy drinker. Um, he, after high school, he ended up going to Ohio State University after one quarter term, uh, he dropped out just due to drinking. Uh, he would get drunk and miss class and completely just uninvolved in school. Um, so after that, his father, his father and mother got divorced around that time as well. And his father insisted they join the army. So in late December 1978, uh, Dahmer enlisted and went to Germany and was stationed there. Um, in early 1981, the army discharged him for drinking and his alcoholism and said that it was too much and he did not need to be in the army. Where it's something yeah, I learned during the... Go ahead. I'll say if the army says you drink too much... <laughs> Like, that's a little serious, you know, like if they're like, hey, bud, you need to cut it back. And he's like, nah. And they're like, you know what? We don't need you. And especially at the, you know, 1978, that was, you know, really high time for war right then. Yeah. And they really needed everybody they could get. And that was, he was too much. So that, that really speaks on how truly the magnitude of his alcoholism ran. I would say he's got the Cold War, you got Vietnam, like. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, my dad at the age of, like, two, they made a clerical error and tried to draft my dad into Vietnam. Oh, I didn't know that. And, like, it was, like, one or two. He was, like, he was right around 1978, and he, um, yeah, they tried to draft him. They sent recruiters, like, the draft enlistment officers to my grandmother's door, to collect my father for the war and he was still like an infant. <laughs> it's like, here you go. <laughs> yeah. So like 
you know, if they're willing to draft an infant, but they're like, you drank too much, you know it was probably pretty bad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, so I, I did also find during doing the research for this, which I thought was absolutely insane, is the uh, the German authorities, uh, because he was stationed in Germany, uh, investigated possible connections between Dahmer and murders that took place in the area that he was there. Um, it's not believed that he took any victims while serving in armed forces, but the Germans did believe so. So exactly where he was in Germany at the same time, his same victim style of killings happen, but no one knows if it was him or not. Hmm. So he could have actually ended up killing people in Germany. Like I said, it's unknown, but you know, that's speculation that could have happened. Yeah. Um, so after he uh, was discharged from the military, he went back to Ohio. Um, he got arrested later that year for disorderly conduct conduct. And uh, his father decided that he was going to send his send him to live with his grandmother, uh, Catherine Dahmer, in Wisconsin. Just kind of get away. And to be honest, he was freshly married. You know, this is my troubled son. Dropped out of school. Uh, dropped out of school. Got kicked out of the military. You know, he's trying to start his new life with his new woman. And so he decided he was just going to send him away to live with his grandmother. Just kind of get get him out of the picture. And uh, then the summer following him moving to Wisconsin, he was arrested for indecent exposure. And then he was arrested again in 1986. Uh, Two young boys accused him of masturbating in front of them. uh, And he received one year probationary sentence. That's it? So, yeah. Damn. And I, I kind of say these things because, you know, disorderly conduct, getting kicked out of the military due to alcoholism, dropping out of school, um, you know, he got accused of masturbating in front of two young boys. <clears throat> these are things that, you know, to me really fit fits into the justice system needs some sort of reform, you know, because here we are a perpetual criminal and continues and continues to get away with it to the extent of look what has happened. Gets a year probation for masturbating in front of kids. Yeah. And then becomes one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Yeah. It's how, how well could this have been have stopped if we would have just noticed something, some sort of pattern. Yeah. You know, um, so Next, I want to kind of go over the victims. So he was very careful on who he selected as victims. Uh, He selected victims on the fringes of society. Um, Sometimes criminals, sometimes, uh, you know, your homeless people, your your floaters, uh, the guys that just kind of go around and crash on couches because, honestly... The reason he chose them is because if they don't, if they just exactly who's going to miss him. If they know if they went dis if they disappeared, who's going to notice them? And it's going to allow him to get away with it for a lot longer. Yeah. Um. So over the course of thirteen years, Dahmer sought out his victims, mostly black men at gay bars, malls, bus stops. Uh, he lured them in with 
uh, money, sex, and he ended up giving them uh, drugs laced in alcohol. And he essentially roofied all of them. And then his way he liked to kill was through strangulation. Um, he would lure them in, drug them, promise them the, pretty much the world, and then strangle them. And that kind of ranged through with every single victim that he had had, except for a couple. Um, and then the part that, you know, kind of a trigger warning for some people, you know, some things I want to say that from here on out, like I know I've already, we've already said some pretty disturbing things, but trigger warning that this could be one of those episodes that if you're squeamish or obviously, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, you know, some sort of story behind him, just know that things are going to get a little dicey throughout this podcast. Um, so after, after he drugged them, uh, you pick them up, promise them money or sexual acts, and then he would drug them. And then eventually he would end up strangling them. After he strangled them, he would engage in sex acts with the corpse corpses. Uh, so he'd perform, you know, that necrophilia compulsions he had that started at the age of 14 and then after that, he would dismember them and dispose of their bodies. But he often kept body parts as souvenirs, um, yeah, that, just like little trophy pieces. Yeah, that's the only thing I really knew about him was he kept body parts in his freezer. And I knew yeah. he was he had sex with them, but I didn't know it was after they were dead. Yeah. Very often after they were dead, he, he didn't. Uh, and like I was... Uh, talking to you a little bit before we started recording uh, this morning. Uh, you know, this is the 80s. You know, this is kind of in that sense of uh, the AIDS epidemic, uh, the very anti-gay movement across the U.S. So, you know, here's a naturally born gay man that's afraid to be gay. You know, so he, he also... You know, to me, um, which, like I said, I'm no psychologist, uh, just a spectator of it. You know, if you are sitting here, you're afraid to be gay, and you're probably taking out the anger of who you are internally on these different men that you pick up. And that's what is creating this you know, the murders. And then after the murders, there, now it's just a body. And he's able to kind of get his desires out without being ridiculed or judged for it. Yeah. Um, so his first murder uh, was actually directly after high school. Um, murder occurred right after graduating from Revere High School in June of 1978. Uh, he picked up an 18-year-old hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks and took him home to his parents' house. Um, he stated in a, a court document that proceeded to get the, he proceeded to get the young man drunk. And when Hicks tried to go, Dahmer simply said he just didn't want him to leave. He was too attached at that point. And uh, so... 
they were working out. They were lifting weights. And Dahmer picked up a barbell, struck him in the head with it, and then strangled him with the same barbell. God. Yeah, just because he didn't want him to leave. See, that's like, um, like I can understand like shooting somebody or stabbing somebody, but like strangling, man, you're watching the life leave their eyes while you're doing it. Yeah. It's, it's insane to me. And to me, like that, that is to me too. It's very insane. And that became his, you know, his motif. That was how he killed everybody was through strangulation. To me, that is just absolutely insane. But then also, you know, he had an alcohol problem. He was very detached, very withdrawn. Uh, spoke about that, you know, leading through his childhood. But he was also, you got to think like, no matter how awkward or withdrawn he was, he had to at least be charismatic enough or non-threatening enough where all of these men went home with him. And, you know, it's not like he's sitting here, look, you know, trying to take home a small petite woman that he could easily overpower. No, he's taking home other men equal or bigger to his size and strangling them. Like, you know, to me, it's just insane to me that he was able to do that and not really have any repercussions of them fighting. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> after he'd killed Hicks, with the uh, strangled him with a barbell, he dismembered Hicks's corpse, and he ended up packing the body into plastic bags and buried them behind his parents' house. Um, later, he exhumed the remains, and of course, after they had decomposed, the only thing that was left was bone, because about the only thing that doesn't decompose is bone. And uh, he ended up crushing the bones with a sledgehammer. And then scattered them through the ravine behind his house. Oh, shit. So that way there was no evidence left of the murder. And again, this man was a hitchhiker. So who's going to miss him? You know, he's a hitchhiker. Right. No one knew where it happened. And it was able to just go unnoticed. And then uh, he kind of took a little break after that one. Like I said, that was his very first murder. Um, that was in 78 and he didn't do a, he didn't commit another murder for about nine years. Went nine entire years, didn't do a single thing. And he could have stopped right then, got completely scot-free. No one ever, you know, thought of Dahmer being a, a, you know, murder at that point. Um, so in September 1987, Dahmer took his second victim. His name was Stephen. Uh, he checked into a whole ro- hotel room and drank. And then after they drank, uh, Dahmer states that all he remembers is passing out. He doesn't remember anything after drinking with him in this hotel room. And uh, Dahmer woke up the next morning and looked over and Stephen was dead laying next to him. So, Dahmer had no memory of it. The guy that he took to the hotel room to just drink and party with is now dead. Obviously, with his past, he knew exactly what to do. 
So Dahmer went and bought a very large suitcase and took Stephen's body back to his grandmother's house. Uh, loaded him down into the basement of his grandmother's house. He dismembered the body and masturbated upon the corpse. And he ended up disposing of the remains, except for the head. He kept the head, wrapped it in a blanket, and kept it for weeks after the murder. And so the thing that intrigues me the most about it is you know after the very first murder 1978 he went nine years didn't do a single other murder and kind of left alone um but after the murder of steven in the hotel room he said his obsession with killing went into full swing and after that he didn't even try to stop it so that murder is what catalyst his career as a serial killer yeah and one Um, thing i'm thinking about while you're going over is if he did it in his parents house and his grandmother's basement how did they not catch him exactly like you know i think like no suspicion nothing no weird smells no weird noises hey where'd you this body come from where does blood come from like and I think that's also something, you know, of like what I was saying on like how he lured these men in is it truly was a shock to every like that wasn't on any of their radars. You know, you, you have some serial killers that is you meet them and they're obviously a killer, like they're obviously bad people. But with him, he wasn't even on anyone's radar. Yeah, it's like, what like what was the discussion he was having with him, you know? <laughs> Exactly. How he was trying to, you know, explain all of it to me. It's it's like, like my thing is like, he walks up to you. What conversations were y'all having? Yeah. It's a a point that I would love to be a fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's just, I don't know. It's absolutely crazy to me. So, to kind of go along with what you just said, he ended up killing two more victims at his grandmother's house. Um, Some bitch. So, <laughs> um, and then she forced him to move out in 1988. But guess why she had to move out? She knew his alcoholism. Oh, good God. He was getting too drunk, so she kicked him out. And in all reality, he had killed three people in her house, and she had no idea, but he drunk too much. Yeah. She knew. She just didn't <laughs> want to admit it. Yeah. It's kind of the... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that to me just absolutely is insane. So, you notice that I, he drinks too much, but you don't notice that he killed three people? Yeah, it's like with her and the military, it's like, Either, yes, they really believed he was drinking too much, or they knew this guy's a fucking problem, and I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, his problem, not my problem, you know? Yeah, it's like, I don't want to involve, I don't want to deal with the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, he moved into a new apartment soon after uh, having to be forced out of his grandmother's house, and then in September of 1989... Uh, he was in that apartment for about a year. Uh, Dahmer ended up luring a 13-year-old 
Loatian boy to his house, claiming he wanted to take nude photos of him. That's not well, suspicious. <laughs> so, exactly. So, after that, he didn't kill the kid, anything like that. Um, but he ended up getting charges of sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault. So, again, public disorder or disorderly conduct. Masturbated in, two, in front of two young boys. Now he's getting sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault. Are these not things that we can sit here and justify and we see? You know what I'm saying? Like, why isn't the pattern recognized? No, nah, he's just a sex offender. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> while he was awaiting charges, he uh, he went back to his old stomping grounds. You know, he, he, uh, he put his grandmother's basement back in use. So in uh, March of 1989, he lured and drugged and strangled and sodomized, photographed, dismembered, and disposed of Anthony Sears. He was an aspiring model in his grandmother's basement. Hey, he's going to take some pictures of him. He's going to model for him. (laughs) So he, shortly after... uh, the his other killing of Anthony Sears uh, in May of 1989, he was handed down a one-year prison sentence, uh, and it was on day release, allowing Dahmer to work uh, at his current job during the day and then return to prison at night, as well as a five-year probationary sentence. So he essentially got a, you know, at this prison sentence, but he was only in prison during the night. Yeah. He was allowed out regular day, could go to work, do whatever he wanted to. He just had to be back at night for second degree sexual assault. That's fucking insane. Yeah, like, sorry for the dead air, but I just, I really want that to sit in. Yeah. Sexual exploitation and second degree sexual assault. And he's only, he only gets locked up when he's asleep. See, in my mind, if you're a sexual predator, you deserve your dick cut off. Like, full-on castration and everything. And that's yeah. just my opinion. Especially for kids. And that's that's me is, you know, like, one of those, you know, again, I've talked about being a libertarian, leaning social democrat, but one of those views that really don't correspond with my party's views is I strongly believe in, you know, shoot your local pedophile. Yeah. Like there there is nothing worse than a pedophile. And that to me is just I don't I don't understand how how you could be put on day release. After learning you're a pedophile. You're literally a registered pedophile. Yeah, we're day release, you you're good. <laughs> yeah. So uh after that, um he was actually granted an early release by the judge. He only actually served ten months out of the year sentence, so he got two. He got out two months early for good behavior, probably. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> Dahmer also at that time, um, 
shortly after he got released, you know, he returned back to his apartment. Um, and at that time, he decided that he was going to get really big into learning the art of lobotomies. You know what a lobotomy is? It's where you, like, take part of the brain out. Yeah. So he started doing uh, crude lobotomies. Um, He actually drilled into the skull of his 11th victim, Errol Lindsay, when he was still alive. And he ended up... (laughs) He injected him with muriatic acid um, straight through the hole that wrenched the brain. So that, to me... It's just absolutely insane. The the some of the psychology behind it was it was believed that Dahmer was essentially trying to make him a voiceless live sex doll. Right. So instead of having to kill to be able to have sex with man because he was afraid that they would tell on him he was going to get a voiceless live sex doll that he could do whatever he wanted with, but would never speak back to him. Right. So, uh, after he was done, um, Errol ended up waking up and he said, I have a headache. What time is it? And it didn't work. His crude lobotomy didn't work. What the fuck? So, Dahmer did the only thing that Dahmer knew how to do, and he strangled him to death. God, God. It's bad. Um, so, in May 27th of 1991, Dahmer's neighbor, Sandra Smith, called the police to report that there was an Asian boy running naked in the street. Um... Again, shortly after, you know, this is 11 victims in. Mm -hmm. Um, He was running naked in the street. Police arrived. Uh, The boy was incoherent. And instead of trying to help the kid, because, again, this is in the AIDS pandemic. This is gay panic. This is where, you know... People, if you were gay, they just turned their head and walked off. Uh, Because they could see that it was a gay situation, uh, Dahmer said that it was his boyfriend and he just got out. He was drunk. He didn't know what he was doing. So the police walked the young boy young Asian boy back to Dahmer's apartment. They take a brief look around Dahmer's apartment. They peek into his bedroom. They don't really do much investigation because they're creeped out, grossed out, not approving of his way of life. And essentially turn Dahmer's victim that escaped back over to Dahmer because they didn't want to be involved. Yeah, but I mean, if, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about him, but if he had a clean apartment and didn't have 
if they didn't run his background and he was doing everything right to, to like not draw attention, what indication do they have? Yeah. It was a fourteen year old. Not boy. not I oh I didn't know that. I didn't hear that part. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh also something that uh Wait, I he's didn't a fourteen year old boy and he said he should have said that's my boyfriend and they said, Oh, okay. Yeah. What the Here fuck? Here you go, sir. You can have him back. Sorry about the inconvenience. And where was this? Like where was he living at the time? Uh I think this was um, yeah, Milwaukee. So the middle, the, the fucking Midwest, and they didn't say anything. Exactly. A bunch of good old boys, and they seen a 14-year-old kid that's apparently Dahmer's boyfriend. Naked, completely incoherent, couldn't speak for himself. And how old was Dahmer at this point, you think? Uh, it has see. to be like late, late 20s to early 30s, right? 1991, he was born in 1960. Oh, so close to so almost 40. 30, 31 years old. Yeah. That's not suspicious. Exactly. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, this is like the one thing I really want to lead into on this podcast is look at the pattern. Look at the pattern of just straight negligence. Yeah. From the justice system. They, we have. You know, the justice system perpetrated the Dahmer experience. The reason yeah. Dahmer is Dahmer is because of them. Yeah, and you have to think nowadays, like, we mentioned on, like, the last show, like, how we live in the boonies. But, like, wherever you live and the Midwest ain't that different. Mm-hmm. And if you did that shit around here, you're going to get a fucking bullet in your head. Exactly. Off the record. <laughs> it, yeah. Like, that's it, it vigilante shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, obviously we've talked about Tennessee. We talked about not being from Memphis, not being from Nashville. You know, we're somewhere in between all of it, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, one of the famous, uh, what is it, the Christian case where the that group of men... Uh, killed the young white couple. Uh, it was around Knoxville. Yeah, in the early yeah, 2000s. yeah. I, mean, I remember. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, <clears throat> and like, then they ended up doing a car chase, and they went through multiple counties in East Tennessee. They went through, I think it was Knox County, Blunt, Sevierville. Went through all these different counties. You know, so it was made national news. Well, every single county wanted a piece of them. You know, if they stepped foot in their county, they had a right to arrest them. Yeah. So what they ended up doing is they sent one person from each of those, one person out of the group to each of those counties. I didn't, wasn't it that they had a cabin in Gatlinburg and raped them with a, with a pull stick? Yeah. Some shit, raped them like and that. then, yeah. And then killed them. Yeah. And the funniest part, like not the funniest, but funniest uh ironic i don't care yeah is so they sent them each to each of the counties that they had crossed in their chase and the one that went to Sevier county jail which is you know the home of dolly parton home of the good old boy Mm -hmm. south as south can be 
they all showed up to court the next day. They were all perfectly fine, you know. They went they went to court just how, how they went into jail. The ones from Sevier County, you could barely recognize them. He had had the absolute shit beat out of him so bad that you couldn't recognize who the man was anymore. Yeah. That's what the South does. <laughs> right. Like, that's the only reason I brought that up is that's what the South does. But apparently in Milwaukee, you know, we just see it and we're like, you know, it's cool. I just, I don't get it. So, uh, another thing I learned during the research of this is that 14 year old boy that escaped Dahmer did everything he could to get away from him and was then rehanded over to Dahmer by the police was actually the younger brother of the Loatian teen that Dahmer had molested three years prior. Oh, really? So he molested the older brother and then killed the younger brother. Good God. So... Uh, another victim that uh, was talked about a lot during all the research was Oliver Tracy. He was 24 when he had had his run-in with Dahmer. Um, and the reason they talk about him is after Dahmer had murdered Lacey, he had had sex with the body, dismembered him, and then... He kept the most trophies out of Lacey. So these trophies is really what was found at his arrest was Lacey's trophies. So he had kept his head and heart in his refrigerator. See, that's something I heard about him. And then he had a freezer and he had kept Lacey's entire skeleton in the freezer. I didn't hear about that one. Um, so in 1991, July 22nd, 1991, uh, the body parts was found in Dahmer's refrigerator and freezer. And they had also found all his Polaroid photos that he had taken of all his victims. Um, so what ended up leading to that was... Uh, Tracy Edwards, he was a 32-year-old black man. Uh, he was wandering the streets with handcuffs dangling from his wrist. And uh, he ended up getting the cops called on him. Well, when they did their investigation, uh, he had claimed that some weird dude had drugged him, restrained him, and he ended up breaking free and escaping. Uh, so... They ended up taking Edwards back to Dahmer's apartment. And questioned Dahmer on exactly why this man was running through the streets with handcuffs and what was happening. So Dahmer's... Um, answer to that and the only thing that he said to the police was well I can get the keys to the handcuffs if you want 
that's it. No, like, oh, it's my boyfriend shit again. No, he just, I'll get you the keys to the handcuffs. And so then when they did the investigation, they walked into the apartment. They obviously found all the Polaroids and found the body parts in the refrigerator and freezer. And so July 22nd, 1991, he was arrested. Finally arrested after years and years of dodging cops and essentially just getting, I mean, honestly, just getting away with murder. Even getting a victim hand-delivered to him by the police. So, the jury chose to believe that Dahmer was fully aware that his acts were evil and chose to commit them anyway. And on February 15th, 1992, they returned after approximately 10 hours of deliberation to find him guilty, but sane on all counts. So, you know, these these court cases that are about, you know, these mass murders and these huge, huge crimes usually go days and days of deliberation. Mm -hmm. Ten hours. That's all it took. I don't even think it should have took that much. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I have exhibit A through Z2 that is his trophies what more proof do you need yeah that's true i mean also though like you could have really hit the insane account on that and i'm glad that they hit him with a that he was sane you know that way he faced actual time and not went to you know in that comfy padded cell upstate um so he, he ended up being sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms uh and a 16th term tacked onto that as well. So he ended up doing an entire 16 terms, life terms that he was supposed to face in prison. Um, he ended up getting very well adjusted to prison life. He actually fit into prison, the regimen and the authority really jived well with him. And he really liked it. Uh, he was in, uh, Columbia Correctional Institution in South Central Wisconsin. Uh, He initially wanted to be kept away from general population, and they abided by that, Um, just due to being a high, you know, a... High-risk inmate. Yeah, high-risk inmate, very well-known on news media and everything else. So they kept him away. Um, But he actually sought out to and convinced authorities to allow him to integrate with the other inmates and go to gin pop. Mm -hmm. And he begged them to let him go to gin pop. He didn't like the isolation. Uh, He ended up finding religion while in prison uh, in books and photos sent to him by his father. And he was granted permission by the Columbia Correctional Institution to be baptized by a local pastor while in prison. So he ended up converting to Christianity while he was in Christian or while he was in prison to, I guess he was trying to, you know, get away all the evil that he had committed. And he had thought that the act of being baptized and converting to Christianity essentially waived him of all his wrongdoings. Right. Not maybe not legally, but spiritually. 
Exactly. He could die in peace. Yeah. Which, I mean, um, if he did that, that is a good point of rehabilitation in the prison system. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised he didn't get murdered in prison, but... All right, so he ended up running into a prisoner. <laughs> Foreshadowing at his finest. <laughs> that, was, that was absolutely I that could not have worked out better. I'm so I'm so happy you said that. I thought you were going to uh, say yeah, he died of uh, like 82 years old of cancer <laughs> like the whole manson thing all over again you know it, right. he, he died like you know he died seven years ago and that's it yeah, like, like no, no nothing climactic just oh you fell asleep and didn't wake up <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um he ran into a prisoner named christopher scarver and on november 28th 1994 he was killed by inmate christopher scarver um, Dahmer was assigned to work with two other uh, convicted murders, uh, Scarver and Jesse Anderson. After they had been left alone to complete their task, they were kind of like maintenance tasks. They were in charge of um, just cleaning up uh, shower rooms, stuff like that, kind of doing the grunt work of the prison. Jane and uh, after they... Exactly. Um, after they were left alone, uh, the guards ended up coming back and found that Scarver had brutally beaten Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer with a metal bar from the prison weight room because that's where they were actually cleaning up at the time. So he picked up one of the barbells and beat both of the other prisoners to death with them. And Dahmer was pronounced dead after approximately one hour. Anderson died from his injuries days later, so he ended up killing both of these inmates. And uh, Christopher Scarver, uh, he was believed to be schizophrenic, believed to be on the more insane side, and kind of where I want to leave it off and get into our discussion on all the things that we find absolutely insane about this case is... The guards asked him why he had done these horrendous acts of murdering Jeffrey Dahmer and Jesse Anderson. And the only thing that he could say was, God told me to do it. Oh, nice. That's refreshing. So, that is... All things Dahmer kind of just boiled down into a nutshell. What, what's what's your overall thoughts on it? How accurate was the TV show? You think? Pretty. I, I didn't. I pretty, didn't watch it. Like I, I didn't really watch it. I just kind of like as my wife was watching it, just kind of like here and there. So I don't really had it really yeah. see it. Uh, but if if, if this in, if this intrigued you whatsoever, it is honestly as accurate as you could possibly get. Okay, so I might have to give it a give it a watch. It is it, it's honestly phenomenal, and again, like I knew because I don't if really trust much about it because I don't really trust like Netflix documentaries to be accurate at all. 
<laughs> no, I get that. And like, it's one of those things like, you know, I knew a lot about Dahmer going into watching that documentary and that series, but after especially doing this research for this episode and I promise you, I probably have another 30 minutes of content that I ended up leaving out of my research just on how horrific that it was. And I don't think I could bring myself to talk about those subjects. Um, This episode would not last. (laughs) Exactly. I would probably, you know, go to a 48 hour stay after this, you know, (laughs) having to talk about it. Um, But it really was, uh, that show was honestly very accurate. And it, it really breaks into the psychology and, the just the craziness behind Dahmer and his story. And, you know, it kind of leads me into, you know, like with Manson, I talked about the um, foster care system needing to reformed, but, you know, with Dahmer to me, it really just shows that this, the entire justice system needs to be reformed. You know, there, there's obviously patterns here that were ignored. Yeah. And that could just be from lack of documentation on any interaction with law enforcement, but, or it could just be those cops that want to get sued if they were wrong, you know, or perceived. Yeah, but then also, not giving them them a pass, but. Yeah, but this is also the time before all of that. You know, this was before Rodney King. This was before the essential suing the police craze. Mm hmm. So that fear of being sued wasn't there. Yeah, You didn't sue the police at that time. Uh, but a lot of it is, you know, with police on, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement with the Dahmer uh, situation and a lot of issues is, you know, you, you have that bias towards situations, you know, whether or not you believe in it or whether or not you're grossed out by something, you know, if you, if you don't approve of, um, the LGBTQ plus community, then, and you're a cop and you're investigating a crime within that community, it's very easy to be grossed out by it and just leave. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see over and over again in the Dahmer case is these police were biased in, you know, they let their own beliefs carry into their work. And they let a man get away with 17 murders. Right. And that to me is just absolutely insane. Like even just to take out the bias of it. He was already a sex offender. And you found him with a 14 year old kid naked running on the street. And that's his boyfriend. Apparently it's like, what more probable cause do you need? Even if you didn't agree with the whole gay aspect of it you know exactly it's what 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 more probable cause do you need you know and it was also you know like i can guarantee any judge out there would have signed a warrant (laughs) and you hand deliver him back to Dahmer. like i want to know what happened to those cops that young boy's blood is on their hands yeah 100 percent, and that to me is just absolutely sickening It's just, it's insane on how the justice system, you know, it's, you know, the justice system to me is, 
it's all about putting you, you know, now especially it's talked about how it's all about putting you into the system and keeping you in the system, right? Mm-hmm. Never allowing you to escape the system. Is once you make one mistake, you're going to be in and in and in, in and out, in and out, in and out for the rest of your life. Right. And that is widely complained about with our current justice system in this world. But then also you have aspects like this where, so you, you keep minority figures in and out of the system as much as you can, but then you let a prolific serial killer just do whatever the fuck they want. Right. Because he's a white male. You know, to me, that is just, I don't know, that's sickening. And that it really shows the injustice of the social or the justice system. It, it really, you know, our, our justice system is broke. Uh, fundamentally. And until we can recognize that and fix that, nothing's going to change. I think a good first step is to deprivatize all the prisons. That'd be a good first step. I, I 110% <laughs> agree. I think for-profit prisons is what has led us to the state that this world is in. Yeah. You know, like, why I, do I, I have... Like, I'm very, like, privatized everything that could be privatized, but that is the one thing that's like, y'all privatized prison? Made that for profit? <laughs> Off of people like, suffering? You have somebody like Dahmer... Who that should be in prison, but... <laughs> that should be in prison, but is let off, but then... There's a young black man that's locked away up, for, you know, locked away for 30 years for having a gram of weed. Yeah, even if they're not black, just like weed in general. Like, take the race out of it. Like, people are in prison for having a gram of weed or fucking an ounce of shrooms or whatever. Wanting to do what they want to do and they're at sit, like, not hurting, any, hurting anybody in the private of their own home. Like, but then sexual offenders and pedophiles get released after six months or let off on a year of probation, not even jail time. <laughs> so, and, and that to me is just, it really, that signifies our justice system to us is you can do whatever you want. You can hurt however many people you want, but don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the logic of our justice system. And that's one thing I'll never forgive Reagan for is the war on drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. It had, that quintessentially that set this country back decades, and we have yet to recover. Now, not to get on the whole Trump topic, but that's one good thing I think you could uh, appreciate that he did was the whole First Step Act of getting them out of prison for minor drug offenses. Yeah, that is one thing I will commend that man on. I and will. Funny, uh, and the funny thing is, a lot of people talk shit about him for it, and that's one thing that was like, "Hey, both sides can agree on this shit." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's the one thing that if you have something to say against that, then you should Shoot. probably really rethink your. Your privilege. Yeah, it's like Biden was the one that did like was. I forget the bill now that I think of, now that I have to talk about it is the one I forget the name of the bill, but 
the crime bill he doctored and every like everybody on the news and politicians they all love him whenever he was one that's really put the war on drugs into overdrive and then the one guy that's trying to back off on it everybody hates like if you just take those two issues alone you know what i mean it's like where do your morals lie (laughs) no i get it yeah like i said i mean with every president you know like there's stuff you'll love and there's stuff you'll hate but exactly And, and that's the thing is like whether you're democratic or you're Republican, like you, you can find a couple of things that you like about a president, find the majority that you hate, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one of those things I do regard Trump as he did the right thing. Yeah. And even the, not to get off topic, but even the, uh, right to try act that he did where if there's a experimental drug that could save your life, you have the right to try it. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, it should be, you know, like I, on that same aspect is I think, you know, again, not to get off topic, but like medical suicide. I think that should be allowed. I think it should be allowed. I don't think it like I think it should be something that everybody should know is a thing, but it shouldn't be pushed. No, yeah, you know, exactly. you know, you know what it, I mean? Because, like, in Canada, yeah. they have it, and they actively push it because, to quote them, it'll save us millions on healthcare. <laughs> yeah, but I do agree that it should be allowed, and you sh- that should be an option. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, in your list of options in a booklet that you get when you're dying, that should be in there. Like, it should be on the bottom of the list, but it should be on the list. Yeah, because I'm sorry, but if I'm in stage four cancer and completely lost all bodily function probably where i'm gonna go right but yeah just you know the Dahmer case to get back on subject the Dahmer case just it really highlights the dysfunction of our justice system and the failure that we have and on both sides the right side the left side we've all done bad things that hurt the justice system and something as simple as just fixing a simple system or recognizing patterns or just giving the training, the correct training to the right people. You know, I don't believe in defunding the police. I believe in funding the police and, but not funding them in the ways of we should do salary increases. We should do this. No, give them the training they need. Yeah. You have, you're sending people out there to face these topics and these hard issues and facing criminals and crazy people, murderers, and drug dealers without a lick of training. Like, do you know? I don't. I don't remember the exact figures, but it's at, this is close. You know how much like active firearms training and situational training cops get? Next to none. Six hours a year. That's all they're required to get. And they're more than welcome to get more training and beyond that. But you know how much cops make? Around where I live, the sheriff's office, $26 an hour. You think they can afford that to go get extra training? Like, don't go out militarizing the police. 
just fund them to train them. Exactly. And that's how I feel that a lot of things would be fixed if we gave their proper training. Like, uh, I don't know. Do you know who Tim Kennedy is? Yeah. Okay. Um, again, you know, I don't agree on every single viewpoint this man has, but I do respect all the work he has done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, will completely respect all the work he's done, the labor that he's put into this country and the furtherment of it. And truly an American through and through. Yeah. And, and he's a middle uh, road kind of guy too. Yeah. Very highly respect him. Like I said, there's things that I don't agree. There's things that I absolutely agree on a hundred percent with him. It's kind of like me and you, you know, mm-hmm. but I respect the man a lot. And uh, I forget the exact name of it, but he has a facility. I think it's in Texas where they teach um, these techniques like we're talking about to police, to active duty police on his own dollar. Yeah. To and give he, them the training that they deserve. And the and one, the one thing I love is that he does all this extra shit while he's still active in the military, too. Like they mm-hmm. let him, uh, they let him take leave to do this stuff because they yeah. recognize that we need it. Yeah, it, it's it's insane the amount of work that this man does. You know, he's like he went over to, um, I think it was Gaza, and um, ended up getting he he did an episode of Rogan. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, I would definitely give it a listen. He uh, talks about this horrific things that he'd done while he. He essentially went on leave and uh, instead of going on leave, spending it with his family and his kids, um, he ended up going on leave and going across seas to save people. Yeah, he did the same thing with Afghanistan, too. Like he took the military, wouldn't let him do it. So they gave him they put him on leave so he can run rescue missions, helping evacuate Afghanistan as as the base was falling. Exactly. And it's just, it's absolutely insane to me that, that, that to me, you know, essentially like Republican or non, that that's the type of president we need. Mm-hmm. We need one that will follow the orders, make sure that we're following the right orders, but will also sacrifice themselves for the good of the people. Yeah. And that to me, like that, or even just, you know, if, like, or even if he's just not allowed to do it, he says, "Get him away! I'm gonna do it anyway. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the repercussions are. I'm doing it because it's what's yeah. right." And and that, that's something that you know, just talking about you know the justice system and the fact of it. That's something that you know he recognized. So he poured all of his money into a program to just simply teach. You know, instead of teaching, like he teaches, you know gun safety and things like that to these active duty police officers. But he also teaches them like jujitsu training. You know, if you have anybody that has any jujitsu, you know, knowledge, you know, we were talking about how I started kickboxing Mm -hmm. the other day. If it comes to a hand to hand combat situation, I do kickbox training. You do nothing. Mm hmm. If me and you come over to my house tomorrow, we get in an argument, we go to throw hands in my yard. Who has a better outcome of winning that? Right. You know, and that that's where I like that he teaches these wrestling. He teaches non-lethal 
ways of cooperation with criminals. So that way, you know, <laughs> that, you know, that's his way to cut down on gun violence. That's his way to make sure the police officers stay safe. Uh, he tells them judgment calls, you know, how to make their correct judgment, how to make sure you're reading every situation to the point that you need to read it. And this one man can God have his way to do it, to help our justice system live up to the potential it needs to live up to. But the government can't do a single thing to help it for decades now. Right. And that to me is just absolutely mind blowing. But yeah, other than that, it's really all I have to say on Dahmer. If you don't have any questions, we'll go ahead and kind of end it from here. Uh, I know we kind of went on some tangents of the justice system and drugs and every little act in between, but yeah, it's not that I don't have a lot to say. It's just, I'm, it's, that's a lot to process. It is, it is a lot of process. If you come up with anything, just jot them down. We'll do like a part two, like a Q and a. Yeah. Cause it's you know. like, cause usually like, I'm sure y'all have noticed that we both have a lot to say, but like, that's, that's a heavy, heavy topic. Yeah. And this episode is one of those things. Like I said, I, I left a lot out and, I wanted to talk about it just because of the horrific nature of it. It's not a clickbait title. It's just, you know, I'm somebody that I, I love studying psychology. Um, obviously you could probably hear from the Manson episode. I love studying the mind of people. Ray made a comment about it the other, uh, in one of the past episodes and Dahmer is just one of those things that, you know, with my love to be able to study it, I can't wrap my head around him. Yeah. Something that horrific. I can't seem to wrap my head around. Like, you know, with Manson, I can look at if, you know, we failed this kid, we put him in and out of systems. He did these horrific things, but he was really just fighting for control. And you can look at it as this lost kid. That's just fighting for control of his own life and not justify it, but you can, you can kind of make it make sense in your own head. But that's the reason I want to talk about Dahmer is, He's the one that I cannot make sense of. I don't think anybody that's honest with themselves ever could. Even no. he can't. He was like, I'll just keep, I'll just, just kept doing it for no yeah. reason. And that's <laughs> literally why I ended that started the podcast with that phrase is that phrase to me was so eerie that, you know, he was just going to keep doing it. And that to me is just absolutely mind blowing to me. But again, guys, if you need anything, you reach out. DMs are always open. Uh, I want to be true on that, be consistent with that. You know, if you need help, if you need anything, we're here. You're not alone. And remember, as always, be good or be good at it. And I think our next episode should go on a lighter note, and we'll talk about Ted, uh, Ted Cruz, the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> yes uh, and then I also want to get into you know QAnon and the lizard people if, and, uh, and you can't forget about flat earth <laughs> exactly uh, we got a fellow flat earther that will give his own perspectives oh, right where, Ray where I like making fun of flat earthers <laughs> <laughs> no right, I, 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 we, yeah. we should have a lot more 
lighthearted episodes coming up. So it's not all doom and gloom over here. I, I promise you it's not. It, it'll get a lot easier. I'm sorry to kind of doom and gloom for at least one episode, but I had to do it. You know, former emo kid, we have to unite. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> but where can they find you again? We haven't said that in a couple of episodes, and I feel oh, like God, we're losing we touch of we're, we're terrible no. at marketing. Uh, <laughs> uh, go in our, you can go in our show description, and I'm going to try to start putting it in all the episode descriptions too, but you can check our link tree. Uh, we'll have both of our X accounts up there, and we'll, we have both of our Instagrams, and we just made uh, an Instagram account for the actual podcast itself, and we're going to start doing TikToks too. So check us out there. It should all be under the same name. All right, guys, again, be good or be good at it. If you need anything, we're here. You're not alone. It's a dark world, but you can be the sunshine that shines through. All right. Good night, everybody. Have a good one.